Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Hey, listeners, welcome to this fall 2021 edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words, part of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. In this episode, we visit with Walter Bennett, author of The Last First Kiss, a meditative novel of love and last chances set against the backdrop of an oncoming hurricane in the Outer Banks. Ace Sinclair welcomes his high school sweetheart, Janelle Reed, for a long weekend in his home in the Outer Banks to reconnect and reminisce. The duo search through their memories for betrayals, mistakes, missed chances, and hard truths. Meanwhile, a looming hurricane approaches swiftly, threatening to interrupt their weekend of memories. New York Times bestselling author Lee Smith had this to say about the book. Here's the story of an American generation, the 60s, of all our lost young loves and a brilliant meditation on the passing and relevance of time. An approaching hurricane adds increasing drama to the revelations from the past and the growing attraction between these two absolutely real and deeply drawn characters. Walter Bennett has written a compulsively readable novel that rings true all the way through. Before we jump into the uninterrupted interview today, I'd like to thank you for being here. We are grateful for your presence and uh, really appreciate your time joining us here on the podcast. I'm your host, Landis Wade. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories. And if you run out of things to do one day, you can check me out at uh, LandisWade.com. Find out more about uh, me and uh, my writing. For everything related to the podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. We've got show notes on each episode uh, with images and links. We've also got a community blog there. Uh, if you're a writer, you can submit there. We've got a lot of great content. And speaking of great content, uh, we put out a book report every two weeks. It's free to sign up for, and uh, there's some free stuff you get when you sign up. You can check that out at the uh, podcast website. Uh, hey, we won't spam you because, frankly, that takes way too much time. Speaking of free stuff, if you like audiobooks and you go to libro.fm, L-I-B-R-O.fm, and uh, sign up with uh, their audiobook service, uh, use the promo code Charlotte Reader and get a free audiobook. Last thing I want to tell you right quick before we jump into the episode is that we have what's called a Patreon channel, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. It's a place where our authors uh, and I do a deeper dive into the craft of writing and the business of writing. And uh, you can join us there and, and support the podcast when you do for uh, as little as $5 a month or $8 if you tip. Uh, we put out a lot of content on that page and uh, we've had a lot of fun doing it. I, I've certainly learned a lot about the craft and business of writing on our Patreon page. So join us uh, at Patreon or through our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. But enough of this prologue. Let's get to today's episode. Walter, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Yeah, congratulations on the book. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, that. And you're, you're coming to us all the way from Montana. We're fighting through all the technical difficulties, but uh, hey, we've got it working. Well, we did, thanks to your uh, expertise and patience. <laughs> well, patience is something we have to learn about uh, when we get into to retirement. Is one of the things I talk about as a recovering trial lawyer. So, uh, but let's do this. Um, your first novel, Walter, Leaving Tuscaloosa, 
received a number of awards, Alabama Authors Award, finalist for the Penn Bellwether Prize for Socially Engaged Fiction, the Crook's Corner Book Prize for Debut Novels set in the American South. And the book um, is much different than the one we're going to be talking about. Two young men, one black, one white, in 1962 Alabama, with Bull Connor running the racial violence. Uh, your current book, The Last First Kiss, is more of a reflection on love and memories and lost and potential opportunities. Can you take just a few minutes and talk about the differences in these books and how you went from one to the other? That's yeah, an interesting question and one I did not expect. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what we try to do. We try to trip, trip right. you up on the podcast. That's, that's the lawyer, <laughs> that lawyer trying to come in. Um, both of them, well, they have two things in common. One is that uh, they concern events uh, in high school era, which uh, for me at least was a very formative time uh, in my life. And uh, of course, the characters in the first novel are in high school or close to it. Um, they also both, I think, concern issues of race and social uh, justice and community. Um, so I'd say they have those in common. They are quite different in where they're set. Uh, and the focus in the second novel course is on older people looking back on their youth and on their lives. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're very different. But it's interesting, and as you ask that question, it now sort of comes to me that they are different, but to me they feel very much the same. That is, I guess they come from the same place, and I don't know a more accurate <laughs> or, or descriptive way to say it than that. That's basically it. Yeah, well, the book, uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy the book. Um, it, it is, of course, I enjoy the beach, and uh, you set this at the Outer Banks. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, this idea of looking back as we get older, you know, as I'm now a recovering trial lawyer, you're a recovering trial lawyer and a recovering judge. Uh, and a recovering law professor. But as we look back on the things that, uh, you know, we we remember, we don't always remember it the way it happened. And you explore some of that in this book. Uh, talk, talk about what uh, kind of got you thinking about exploring things that happened 60 and 70 years ago. Well, I'm 77 years old. Is one of the, <laughs> and at least I and a lot of people I know uh, in my age and even younger spend a fair amount of time now reflecting back on your life, uh, what it means and what happened. And these, these memories pop up uh, that seem to have snagged somewhere and keep sort of coming back at you. And... Um, that, I guess, is what really uh, got me going on this issue of memory. But I also, and the, the novel is prefaced with a quote from William Maxwell about memory and how we do it and what our mind does with memory. That is, memory as a fixed moment that you turn over and over in your mind unconsciously and consciously and rework it and so that at some point you don't really know what the real memory was or you may not know that um i don't think that happens with all memories but it certainly happens with a lot of them and i found myself doing that and when i look back on 
my life and try to recall specific events. Or if, for example, I talk to my wife about where we were when we had our first kiss, we both agreed we had our first kiss, but we both have very different memories <laughs> of where it was and how it came about. So, so I, you know, you know I, I was very certain about mine and she was certain about her. So obviously, you know, we've done something with that memory. Uh, yeah, that's so that's, great. Well, yeah. So where, where did this uh, idea uh, originate with you, Walter, to, to take two characters? We're going to talk about them, Ace Sinclair and Janelle, um, who – were high school sweethearts, but went apart, led their own lives. And then after both of their spouses are gone, uh, they reconnect and try to explore, you know, their earlier lives. Um, in, in that respect, that's somewhat different than the, the first novel where you had the two kids are in high school together. What, what was it that prompted you to say, I want to explore, you know, relationships after relationships and looking back? Well, you know, I, I don't know that I ever sort of went about it in that way. Uh, this novel sort of came together from two ideas. One is uh, memories of of a relationship I had when I was in high school that was very formative and affected me a lot, really changed my, uh, sort of jerked me out of the teenage trance I was in and got my life going in some uh, recognizable, um, uh, halfway logical way. Uh, that plus a conversation I had once about a beach house that we have on the Outer Banks with novelist Craig Nova. And he was asking me about it. And I was telling him, he said, well, it sounds like a great house. And I said, yes, but it's doomed because of all the environmental stuff that's going on. And he said, wow, that's a great idea for a novel, a doomed house. So these two things <laughs> sort of came together. And I, uh, uh, this, you know, I thought of this old guy going to this old house of his that's been in his family that's doomed. And then I, that sort of connected for some reason, who knows, with this idea that had been going over in my mind about the nature of the of first love relationship and, and how affecting it is. And so then, well, what if that uh, relationship gets sort of brought forward into this other scenario and what would that be like? And so that's sort of how that came about. That's great. We're going to talk more about that. Before we do, though, I need to give our listeners a little bit of a disclaimer. As I said, you're, you're a lawyer too, and I've got a, I've got a quote. I can only have so many lawyers on you know, a month. I mean, I got to think about my listeners, right? So, you know, as we, as we add lawyers to the mix, but there are a lot of lawyers that are writing books now. And you wrote, you wrote about this on your website. Uh, I think you called it stories and trials, writing, lawyering, and the creative mind. You say at first blush, it seems odd that a lot of lawyers write fiction, but you sort of have this thesis about it. Uh, t tell us your thoughts about that. Well, I, I think the bottom line for me in that is that both the law and I'm talking mostly about trial law now, which is what I did, but I think it's true with any lawyers who handle cases. Um, both lawyers and um, writers deal with stories. Uh, and that never really dawned on me, unfortunately, when I was a lawyer. I never really thought of what I was doing as dealing with stories. I mean, they're in my case, there are very human stories of uh, people's lives that uh, and you know, problems that I was dealing with. Um, I came to UNC law school uh, late in my career, 
and lucked up and got assigned to teach a course in oral histories of lawyers and judges where students would go out into the um, community and interview, um, take life, life stories of lawyers and judges. And I began to see the power in this. I mean, it really affected the students who did this. And the lawyers were telling their lives, and they were telling about cases. And some lawyers were calling them stories. Wade Smith and Roger Smith, that's how they viewed it. And they viewed their lives as a story. And I, this just really transformed the way I looked at what lawyers did. And, of course, you know, when you um, start to write, all of that comes out, too. And I'm sure that impulse to write fiction was there through all of that. But that's what I see in common between lawyers and uh, writers. And, and both uh, are also very creative in that sense. I mean, when you're trying a case, you've got to present a story to a jury in a certain form. And do you want the truth? Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you want a story that the jury will hear and and see and and believe and make a judge uh, judgmental decision on. Uh, not that you want you can't lie, but you are presenting a story, and you know um, you hope that it will have some sort of effect. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I didn't think about it as much that way either, but we were telling stories and we were, we were juries and judges and others who are watching trial want to be entertained. And that's kind of what storytelling is about. Uh, right. Well, Shauna, who works with me on the podcast, helps me with show notes and everything, who, who'd read your book and really liked it, wanted to know um, how your former career, um, that is of being a trial lawyer, being a judge and being a law professor, how that sort of informed your writing. <laughs> you probably know some of the things I'm going to say. One of them is it made it hard because um, you know, I had to, I, for me, lawyering was a very linear thought process. You know, yeah, that, that's what we're trained to do. So it's a, it's a narrowing of thought. You're weeding out extraneous stuff. Uh, when you're trying to imagine a fictional story, it's exactly the opposite. You're trying to spread things out and let things come in. So it's not a restrictive uh, activity. So that was that was one way it affected uh, my writing. But it also made me very uh, careful in what I do. It made me very um, uh, judging about my own work. And, and that helps particularly when uh, I'm revising and editing, which is what most of the work is, at least for me. Uh, it also <laughs> makes me exacting in the sense that I, I cannot um, get through a work of fiction or a movie that I don't find credible. That is, things have to add up. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I guess it's sort of the old judge coming in, well, you know, this person couldn't have done that because they failed to do this, this, and this before, you know, and, <laughs> right. and the cops just don't come in and, and brush something off like that in any normal place, they would arrest the guy. So, you know, um, so yeah, I, I guess that is the main way. Plus the fact that I love stories and both of them are stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, the listeners can't 
see us now. They can see a picture of us in, in the show notes, but I'm looking here. You've got a blue shirt on. I got a blue shirt on. You got a, a beard that's got gray in it. I've got a beard that's got gray in it. You're wearing a headset. All right. We got some receding hair at the top. We're both former trial lawyers. We're both writing books. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's, what's going on there. But, but anyway, let's jump into Last First Kiss. Uh, the, I'm looking at the cover of the book. It's published uh, by Leister Books, uh, which uh, shout out to uh, Nora Gaskin. She published uh, my three books, uh, The Christmas Courtroom Trilogy and uh, also, shout out to your publicist, uh, Hannah LaRue. She works with a podcast as well. Um, uh, I'm sure that you would say good things about both of them. They're terrific, both of them. Yeah, yeah. can't yeah, say enough that's about great. them. All right, the book cover, The Last First Kiss. Um, it, it looks like there's some clouds rolling in. Uh, it might, they might be standing on the dunes, two, two small shadows of people. That's sort of indicative of what's going to be happening in this book. You've got... Uh, uh, these two characters, these two visuals, they're not hugging. They're sort of at distance, maybe even arms crossed because they're feeling each other out perhaps. And then you got the the clouds coming in, kind of like you set up this book. This, you know, The inciting incident of this book is um, this invite uh, by the, the protagonist, uh, Ace, uh, to his childhood sweetheart, Janelle, on a particular weekend where there's a hurricane bearing down on the Outer bank. So you got sort of two currents going on to kind of use a pun since we're at the beach here but uh one current is this friction between the characters one current is what's happening you know out in the atlantic and the hurricane that's coming in uh talk about that a minute and how that helped uh push the story along yeah <laughs> I, I guess the sort of two storms brewing uh <laughs> from different directions uh, one one real storm and one sort of psychic storm coming between the two of them um uh, I guess there's some uh, symb symbolism there, but something, um, I don't think the storm was there when I started to write this story, but something uh, about the idea of the doomed house to make that more immediate um, rather than just we're meeting in a doomed house that someday is going to crash. Th that's begin to emerge as the idea of how the action or something that was going to direct the action and uh, increase the tension in the story. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess I see that as a catalyst, the coming storm and the event of the storm as the catalyst for the changes that occur to these people um, toward the end of the story and sort of the journey that they have mutual journey they've set out on although they don't i don't think uh ace bargained for the journey when he invited her down but that's what happens and uh, yeah and just uh we were talking about the, the the place where this takes place uh which are the outer banks um uh, which is a great setting you know for the book uh i'm gonna listeners we're gonna be doing a, a patreon episode uh Walter and I, uh, you can jump over there after this episode. Uh, it'll be at patreon.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. Go over and listen to that. We're going to be talking about the uh, uh, importance of uh, place and storytelling. Uh, but for now, we're going to have a little reading. Then we're going to come back and talk some more about the book. Uh, uh, Walter, you picked out a reading somewhere uh, in the middle of the book um, for this, The Last First Kiss. And you might want to set this up before you start reading and just tell us, uh, tell us where we are in the book at this point. Okay. This, um, is, uh, somewhere near the, I guess a little before the middle of the book and the two protagonists are having lunch together 
at a uh, small cafe on the Outer Banks or this fictional version of the Outer Banks. And they're looking back on events that happened before. And Janelle uh, is particularly interested in tracing memories. And she talks about a night, Christmas Eve night, when they were on the way back from um, going to a joint Christmas Eve service. And they took the opportunity to pull over on a dark spot on the city street and, and make out before they have to go home. Uh, and the cops show up. And um, one of them, a young cop, not much older than they are, gets on his high horse and starts giving them a, a sermon about the evils of the flesh and how what they're doing is terrible sin. And then he finds out that she's a year older than uh, Ace, and he really gets on her and shines his flashlight all over her and sort of dresses her down for leading this young man astray. And so this picks up right where... Um, she has just told that, uh, Janelle has just told that to Ace. Um, and Ace says, Janelle, I'm really sorry that happened, truly. I didn't remember it nearly as well as you do, and I can see why it stayed with you. But if it's so unpleasant, why bring it up? Do you remember what happened next, she said? I remember, he said, the other cop saying something like, that's enough, Reggie and taking his arm and dragging him back to the squad car, and they began to jaw with each other, and we drove away. Yes, she says, they finally let us go, and you drove away with that red light still flashing through the rear window of the car. It was like it was following us, following me, and with every blink of it came a huge flash of shame, and then anger, so that I began to shake. That creep, what right did he have? And you put your hand on mine, and I took it and squeezed it. And it was like you were pulling me out of the hell he had cast me into with his wandering flashlight and dirty little mind. Ace was never aware he had had that kind of effect on her, ever. Rescuer, source of comfort for the mere, by the mere touch of his hand. I did that, he says. Her smile is gone now. There is... There is a new eagerness in her eyes. Yes, you did. And it rescued me from, from the burn that flashlight had left on me. It took me back to all the good things we had before Reggie came along with his stupid sermon and heavy breathing. Ace can almost feel the breathy warmth of the car's dark interior as it carried them through that Christmas Eve night. Hear the tinny rattle of the fan in the car's foot heater. Smell the butt-slick vinyl seats. Yes, so warm and close, and yet he had had no idea what was going on in the head of the girl next to him with her fingers wrapped in his, though he must have seen and heard everything she did, everything the older Janelle has just described, the fire-breathing sermon, the wandering flashlight beam, the heaving uniformed chest, the red light from the cop car flashing in his rearview mirror as he drove away. Had he ever seen what was in her head? And how about her feelings, like the ones she just shared from that night? Did he ever have a clue? Yeah, thank you for that. That uh, that catches these two characters, uh, as you said to me before the podcast, in the act of uh, sort of looking back at uh, at memories from their past and 
finding new insight about themselves uh, and uh, the present, uh, which I think you've said is a lot of what this novel is about. That's what I found that, you know, these characters are kind of trying to make sense of, of their past and their memories and, and so forth. Um, any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. As I read that, you, every time you do something with your own work, you find something out about it. You didn't think of before. Um, it strikes me. Uh, and I guess maybe I have had this, that ACE, really is fumbling around he's the one who is is really coming from way back to try to um figure out what happened in the past she seems to have a better idea of that uh and um she leads him on through these uh bringing up a lot of these memories that for him have just been sort of fantastical dreams about all the good times they had and the the sex that they had or didn't have and uh, that really aren't very real. And she, she sort of holds his feet to the fire on that. And I think what begins to break through, one of the reasons I thought that was a good passage to read, is he starts to see her feelings, which he was really not seeing before when they were uh, younger in their uh, other, other relationship. And I suspect, in Ace's case, that's an issue, been an issue for him all along, uh, seeing the feelings yeah. of others. Well, the themes of the book, you've got you know some nostalgia, some reminiscing, uh, first love, uh, mistakes and betrayals, what might have happened if I took this path versus that path. Uh, almost a bit of a romantic view of, you know, what's going on, or at least searching for that, you know, in the book is, have you ever been accused of being a romantic, Walter? Yes. <laughs> I think guilty, uh, guilty is, is charged on that. Absolutely. I think uh, to, a, to a fault sometimes. And uh, uh, I, yeah, I, that's, that's it for me. I can't, uh, I mean, as a lawyer, I could fight my way out of it and, and deliver a piece of jury argument sometimes, but it was tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was there, you said the book started off, you know, maybe didn't have the hurricane in it, but it, it found its way into the book. Uh, uh, what were you hoping? Did you have an idea what you're hoping to achieve with the book? Because it, it is, it does keep you engaged and you're not sure what's going to happen to these two characters as you go along. Did you have an idea what was going to happen to them in the end? Or were you kind of searching along with them to try to find out how these characters would, would solve these issues? Oh, I was very much searching with them. And, and, you know, that's that's what makes a, writing a novel interesting to me. I admire uh, writers who know how it's going to end before they start and they know the last sentence and know all of that. N- not for me. I, I just, uh, I guess my mind doesn't work that way. Um, but no, I, it was a journey of discovery for me as much as it was for them with this caveat. <laughs> My wife, who read the my last novel and thought the ending was too tough, said she didn't <laughs> want another sad ending. So, so that was in the back of my mind. I thought, well, maybe maybe I'll look for if I have a choice. Maybe I'll look for some good way out of that. Yeah. So, spo- spoiler alert, listeners, it's a happy ending. I have to give you that. We won't tell you how, but we'll we'll give you that to go with. Um, so, Walter, um, both of these characters reveal. Uh, a lot about their past, and they also um, 
you know, maybe tell some things about their past that they hadn't told even when they were younger and in high school. Um, for example, uh, Ace uh, served in Vietnam and he's got a lot of memories from that time, which he never really talked about much during his life, which he, you know, she tries to pull some of this out of him. These various experiences these characters had, were they, uh, did any of these experiences uh, come from your own personal experiences that you sort of maybe uh, took as a, you know, springboard to kind of explore them further? Sure. Uh, yeah. I, well, I was in Vietnam. I was an um, artillery officer like Ace was. So that <clears throat> that um, uh, scene that he describes there where uh, he was wounded um, is taken from a scene that occurred to me. I was not wounded, but I was in a bunker that took a direct hit. And I remember all that was, you know, the aftermath of that and what it felt like and what it sounded like. And um, luckily, in my case, the um, shell, which was a Russian rocket, I think 152 millimeter Russian rocket, hit a beam of wood that must have been 20 by 12 or something. It was a huge beam of wood across the center of the bunker and it splintered that wood but it did not hit uh, the, none of the shrapnel hit anyone in the bunker it's just a miracle uh, seemed like a miracle and that's where that comes from um i was also on patrol and there was a there's an incident where you know he gets a leg cramp um and some uh, memory of being on patrol and getting a leg cramp that did not occur to me i happened to be behind the man who did get the leg cramps. So it's very vivid. Uh, so yeah, those memories come from there. And I guess also the sort of memories, although they're never, um, uh, other than the one particular case he talks about, never spelled out, just the memory of being a lawyer and the memories of being in court and that feeling you get sometime when you're there of, you know, being suddenly a, a, a alone and, and doing this thing in you know, a, a little, a little bit of uh, dis being disjointed from what goes around you. I had that feeling occasionally as a lawyer. Mm. I did not have a case like the one I described. So there's a saying in the book: "There's a midnight skinny dip that goes on in the Atlantic Ocean." You ever done that? Uh, no, I've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done that either by myself or with someone else. And uh, uh, I'd say the uh, if I were a little younger, it would be an appealing idea, but I don't think I could handle that now. We're going to be talking about sense of place on Patreon, but uh, just tell us about the Outer Banks for those who may not be uh, too familiar with the setting there. Uh, the the Outer Banks of North Carolina, uh, if you've never been there, is to my mind one of the real treasures of the state. It is wild in in a, a number of places, and um, you really do feel like you're you're out there. I mean, you are uh, a good ways from the mainland, um, and the surf is huge and booming a lot of the time. Uh, the wind is is steady and constant most of the time. Um, it's it's a different feeling for me than being, um, say, Sunset or, or Emerald Isle, which are wonderful beaches. But the Outer Banks feels wilder. It feels uh, more primitive, uh, and there also is a real uh, community there of um, local people, some of whom you know have been there for generations and. 
and generations. Um, so th- there is that um, feel about it. It, it, uh, it. it seems like a very authentic place. And to set a novel um, in, in a place that is uh, exposed in terms of, of the environment and nature, um, I thought was a good thing to do here because these people mm-hmm. are exposing themselves and sort of taking a real uh, leap to go into what they're going into. So I guess that's yeah. the thought there. That's great. A couple of writing life questions before we wrap up and head over to Patreon. Um, you, we've talked about your past uh, as a lawyer and a judge and a law professor a little bit. Um, did you start writing, Walter, uh, before you retired? Um, or did you start this novel quest, uh, you know, once you'd put some of that lawyer and stuff behind you? <clears throat> I, uh, I, I picked at it some before I actually retired, but I didn't really start writing um seriously until after I'd retired, which was around 2001. Uh, I will have to say, though, and and I'm sure you probably have the same feelings and most writers do, I think I write all the time. I think I've been writing all my life. And and, I mean, not sitting down consciously to put pen to paper or type. It just goes, that's how my mind works. Uh, Mm -hmm. And um, I guess that's also something what... um, William Maxwell's talking about when you revise memories, but I, I, I think I just write. Uh, yeah. What, what does your writing life look like now? Uh, <laughs> right now it is stuck in the middle of a novel <laughs> I've been working on for about 10 years. Um, but I, you know, I try to get up in the morning and, um, uh, work at least three hours a day. Uh, and that's sort of my goal. Sometimes I'm able to do more, uh, if I could come back in the after, late, late afternoon, I don't know why that works sometimes. Um, but I try to be, if, if I said I was going to write five hours a day, I couldn't do it. I, I think I just have a three to four hour limit and that's about all I can, my mind will take. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's the plan. So, so we're all learning as we continue to write every book we write, every story we write, we learn something new. We look back at what we've written we might find that, hey, we could have done that better. It's just part of the evolutionary process. If you could tell your younger novel writing self something of value uh, based on what you've learned after these two novels um, that might help that younger writer writing their first novel, what would it be? Um, gosh, it's amazing someone would ask me to tell someone else <laughs> any good advice about writing. I, I, I guess I would say, you know, you know the message I get get tired of hearing about rice. Oh, just keep at it; it'll all work out. Um, I think you do need to keep at it. I don't think it ever works out, and I think that is the beauty of it. I mean, I think it for me it's an endless process of learning, 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 learning. And um, I'm reading a, a great new novel by uh, Russell Banks now, um, Foregone, which I highly recommend. It is a model of craft. And I mean, it's just so far beyond what I'm doing that I learned from that. And that's, that's how you do it. You just keep trying to get better. Um, yeah, that's great. Keep reading and keep writing. A uh, great way to uh, finish this podcast. Uh, listeners, the book is The Last First Kiss. You can find out uh, more about it uh, 
uh, in the show notes at Charlotte's podcast. Uh, also, it'll be available, uh, you know, for purchase. Uh, check it out. It's a great setting, a great story. You're not going to get confused with too many characters. It focuses on these two, uh, two, two protagonists, uh, you know, trying to discover themselves and figure out the rest of their lives. So, uh, Walter, I want to thank you for uh, spending time with us on Charlotte Ridgers podcast. Thanks a lot. I've enjoyed it. Appreciate you very much. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our author's voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.